So good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Um, today, I'm going to be picking up where Gordy left off this week, or last week, rather. Um, you can see Jesus and the disciples here are in the upper room, the Last Supper or the First Communion, um, depending on how you look at it. Uh, Jesus has just finished modeling servant leadership by washing the disciples' feet and Gordy mentioned last week that with this act, Jesus was teaching the disciples and us that serving uh, is woven in a fabric of what one means to be a Christian. And he also mentioned that God is bringing us to a good place, ultimately. Even though pain and suffering do mark our ways at times, um, it's good to remember that we are being brought to a good place. Because sometimes all we can see is uh, suffering and pain. So it's good to be reminded that um, of his ultimate purposes. Um, now, I think it's a safe bet that this close-knit community that we see on the screen here, these 12 uh, men in that room that night over 2,000 years ago, really, well, except for Jesus, of course, uh, the disciples really had no idea what was going to happen in the next few days, how it was going to change their lives, how it was going to change everything, really, from that point on. And uh, they really only had the faintest idea of uh, what Jesus was going to go through. I mean, Jesus had been talking rather cryptically, as far as the disciples were concerned, of, about leaving, about being lifted up. He mentioned his soul being troubled but the disciples were still largely clueless as to what was really going to happen. They also had no idea that about, uh, they had no idea that one of them that was uh, around that table that night was going to play a part in the process of sending Jesus to the cross. And of course, I'm talking about Judas Iscariot here, who later in the Olive Grove uh, would become infamous uh, for the worst uh, betrayal in history, a betrayal by the most innocuous and tender of means, really, a betrayal by a kiss, a kiss that at the same time identified and betrayed his rabbi and Lord to the elders and priests of the Jewish people, to the Roman authorities, uh, betraying Jesus to suffering and to death. And so well known is this act throughout history that if you were to uh, accuse someone today of being a Judas, it would be generally understood that you're accusing them of being deceitful, betray of betraying their friends or country in some way. And for Judas's sinful act in the 1300s, the poet Dante Alighieri in his epic tale Inferno, which was Dante's depiction of um, hell, a rather artistic depiction of hell, he places Judas at the very bottom of it with Lucifer himself. It's a rather gruesome image that Dante, Dante picture, um, depicts, and I'll let you read his Inferno to uh, find out that those details. But perhaps where J Judas has been placed is fitting, uh, given the sin that he commits, the sin to trump all sins, as some may see it. Um, but today is not about debating whether there are levels of sin or degrees as Dante depicts. We know that Judas was a thief. 
Uh, we know this from John 12, where uh, we read that he was in charge of the money. And he also, he often stole some of that for himself. Um, just an aside, it's, it's interesting, this merry band of disciples that Jesus has picked. Um, if you ever uh, would think that you need to be perfect to be in ministry, take a look at the 12 through the three years that they're in, uh, they walk around with Jesus. Um, now, I shouldn't be too harsh, as I'm reminded even today about how God is employing fallible people for his divine purposes. Every time I look in the mirror, <laughs> I am reminded of this. Yet, the disciples were definitely fallible. Even arguing at the Last Supper, who was the greatest among them? Clueless that Jesus' betrayer sat and ate with them. Judas, the one who handed the money, the thief who is in charge of the ducats, the, the silver, the, the loot. It seems a rather odd choice, don't you think? I mean, there were other options. I mean, take Matthew, for example. He was a tax collector. He, was, he did this for a living. It seems like he would have been an obvious choice to keep, it, uh, keep the money and, and, and count it and, and to dole it out. Though, granted, some may have viewed him just as corrupt as a thief, given the low view of the general populace, the low view that the general populace had of tax collectors at that time. But surely he would have been a better option than Judas, or if not him, maybe Nathaniel or Thomas, Philip. No, the task fell to Judas to be in charge of the money and the love of it proved greater than his love of Jesus. Now, some speculate that Judas was given this role as the money keeper as a teaching exercise. Jesus here wants to show his disciples and perhaps us as well um, how little uh, importance he placed on money. Well, perhaps, but I think there might be a little pushback today if churches tried to emulate this literally employing someone as treasurer who was known to be active in their thievery. Perhaps the other disciples, including John, who writes about this, uh, didn't know about Judas's pilfering ways until he had uh, died by hanging himself. I mean, we can speculate on this, but we must say that Jesus chose Judas just as much as Jesus had chosen Peter, James, John, any of the other disciples, but ultimately Judas chose to serve a different master. We read uh, about this master's uh, theme in Matthew 6.24, which says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or lo and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the word serve here has the connotation of being enslaved to. You cannot be enslaved to one more, more than one master. You cannot be enslaved to both God and money. And of course, as Christians, we're called to be uh, a slave of God, to be uh, in bondage to him. Now, we know which master Judas chose to be enslaved to. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And uh, scholars speculate as to why he did this. Perhaps it was just pure greed. 
or perhaps he was disappointed on Jesus not being the Messiah that he had hoped. Didn't really have enough oomph. He didn't want to really take out the Romans with a sword. Perhaps he resented not being at, in the inner circle uh, of the disciples, along with Peter, James, and John. Perhaps Judas saw the writing on the wall, as it were. Saw the authorities slowly closing in on Jesus. Maybe picked up on Jesus' cryptic warnings about leaving, about his time being up. Maybe he thought, well, if Jesus' time is up, they're going to come after me and the others. I'm going to make a little profit to help me on my getaway. I'm just hastening the inevitable. Jesus is just another would-be Messiah who's fizzling and burning out, and I'm getting out. So, decision made, Judas goes into the Last Supper, heart beating in his chest, surely thinking about what he's going to do and thinking that he was the only one who knew what he was going to do. And then Jesus starts to talk about what he is going to do, about someone betraying him. I mean, I imagine Judas's pulse kind of ramped up a few beats upon that statement. And the rest of the disciples are sitting there wondering what's Jesus going on about. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this, so when everything goes down, you know, you will know and believe that I am the Messiah. And Jesus is just laying it all out on the last supper table, as it were. Now, speaking of supper, eating together in that culture was a symbol of intimacy. I mean, it's special on ours, but it really had another level of intimacy at that time. Uh, sharing food built relationship and trust. And so this really made the betrayal all the more worse. In John 13, 18, we've read um, already, Jesus references this betrayal as fulfilling Psalm 41.9, which says this, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one whom, uh, one who I shared my bread, or one who shared my bread, had turned against me. Now, this, the Hebrew here for turned against me is this, has lifted up his heel against me. And this act, in the time of the Old Testament, was an act of derision, of scorn, of hostility, contempt. It's similar to uh, someone giving you the middle finger today, but even more offensive and with greater ramifications. It means friends becoming enemies, the person seeking to cause you harm, suffering, grief. And so to describe Jesus's feelings here at this time in this room, about this betrayal as simply being troubled does not do his feelings justice. It is, that's a, uh, an understatement. We need to unpack trouble a bit. It, it's, Jesus was filled with anguish about this, a deep suffering and agony in his spirit about what Judas was about to do to him. It, the Bible uses the same language here as they did in John 11, to describe Jesus' agony uh, when he encountered those weeping and wailing over Lazarus' death. It also uses the same language in John 12 when uh, Jesus describes his own, or contemplates rather, his own physical suffering and death that he was going to endure. 
So Jesus is feeling this bitter, bitter sting and made his anguish and suffering known to those uh, in that room. And naturally the disciples are wondering, who is it? And it seems that Jesus gives a plain answer here. In John 13, 26, Jesus says, oh, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And so he gives it to Judas. And then after Judas has eaten the bread and Satan has entered him, then Jesus tells Judas in verse 27, what you are about to do, do quickly. And then after that, this is written about the disciples. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. What? <laughs> I mean, we know the disciples are a little slow on the uptake. Uh, and again, I need to look in the mirror. And we also had the benefit of being at the other end of this story. But it seems fairly clear from the text that Judas was not going out to give money to the poor. He was not going out to buy provisions, but to betray Jesus. So was this simply such a shock to the disciples, such an unfathomable thing that Jesus said to them, that one of their own, who has been with them, with Jesus for the last three years, who thick and thin could do such a thing, that their brains simply could not compute it, and defaulted to another more plausible reason? And to try to make sense of this, some scholars speculate that Jesus had merely whispered his answer to the disciple that he loved, to John, about giving the bread to the one who would betray him. And none of them actually heard Jesus say, verse 26, other than John. Now, we know that John was reclining closely or actually leaning on Jesus's chest, which could give this whispering theory some cre credence and um, could make more sense of why the disciples had no understanding of what Jesus was getting at. So I think if we picture how Jesus and the disciples probably would have eaten together, this may help us a little bit. Let's take a look. This is a triclinium, as they termed it, a typical way to eat at that time. It's a little different than Da Vinci's Last Supper that you saw on the first slide I had. So we have people here lying down on the couch in a U-shaped pattern. They would have leaned on their left elbow while eating with their right hand generally. And you can see their feet pointing away from the table. So one, this would have, made it, would have made it very easy for Jesus to get up and go around and wash each of the disciples' feet as they were pointing away. And also would have been very easy to, for John to recline next to her to lean on Jesus and to have a private conversation about who was going to betray him, with only John really knowing the meaning of the morsel of the bread uh, that Jesus gave Judas. Now, again, this dipping of the bread and giving to Judas could also have been interpreted by the disciples as Jesus honoring Judas, which would have further confused things for them, even if they had heard this information. So perhaps it has a double meaning. Perhaps it served as a sign of the one 
who is going to betray him, and also a way for Jesus to love his soon-to-be enemy to the end by this honoring action of a rabbi giving his disciple bread. Jesus, showing that he is in control of all things and knows all things, tells Judas to go out now and do what he has decided to do. And then in verse 30, we have, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. And some translations say it this way. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. And with this phrasing, the interesting thing here is Judas going out into the night can also be interpreted symbolically. A description of Judas going out into darkness, of evil completely engulfing him through his choice, stepping out into night, stepping out into the darkness. So here we have the Last Supper, the first communion, if you will, Jesus suffering greatly, burdened heavily with the knowledge of Judas's betrayal, while also preparing himself to suffer greatly as a result of Judas's betrayal. Jesus, the one who is the bread and wine of life, giving the first emblematic bread and wine to his betrayer, loving and honoring his friend turned enemy till the very end, and perhaps in a way saying to Judas, even in these last moments, feed on me, not on your greed. But we know that Judas chose darkness, went out into it, a darkness that swallowed him, a darkness which led to not only Jesus' suffering and death, but Judas's own anguish, anguish and suffering, being filled with remorse of what he had done and dies by his own hand. So this is pretty intense, granted. This is pretty heavy stuff. So what can we take away from this? Well, one, God is surprised by anything. I think that's hopeful because it, God is in control. He knew exactly what Judas had planned to do. There are no curveballs here thrown at Jesus. He taught us to pray, and the disciples, of course, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, God's kingdom did come, has come, is coming. God's will has been done and will continue to be done today. It was done in the upper room 2,000 years ago. It will be done right now. Also, God does not get confused about what's going on. We can be surprised, disappointed by things, that mind-boggled uh, like the disciples, uh, why things are happening the way they are. Um, now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't seek to try to understand, but we're, just not, we're simply not always filled in with the step-by-step -step details about how God's purposes are being accomplished. But ultimately, they will be. And we are called to love and trust him who knows the beginning and the end and everything in between. And also, God feels things deeply. Jesus, being God, felt pain and anguish. He was not untouched by it. He, he felt it because of what was going to happen to him and what was happening to other people. He felt the whole range of emotion while he walked this earth. I mean, I think this is 
comforting that we love and serve a God who's not impassive to distress and suffering. And his desire to wipe every tear from our eyes and to make all things always well is much stronger than our own. So before I offer a discussion question for the breakout groups, I'd like to share with you a live performance of a song, which in its own artful, dramatic, and granted rock and roll way, depicts the events, the dynamics, the inner emotions of what we talked about. So I'll have the lyrics up next to the video so you can follow along. It's performed by a fairly well-known band that I think many of you will know, but you might not have known that this song has a deeper meaning. Well, if you're not awake now, <laughs> I'm not sure if you can be awake. Um, so our discussion question for the breakout groups. While walking on this earth, Jesus experienced betrayal and suffering. What does knowing Jesus experience, uh, what does knowing Jesus experience these things mean to you? How does it impact your faith? We'll take some time to think about that and uh, we'll, we can discuss it uh, together. So that's all I have. I'll turn it back over to Matt and Sandra. Thanks.